Crosspoint is about helping people find and follow Jesus. And I think today's message really kind of shows why and how come. Uh, Today we're talking about, or my title is, what is the WTL? Okay, and the answer right away off the bat is Jesus is the WTL. Now, if you know John 14, verse 6, you might already kind of start figuring out what that abbreviation is or that acronym is. Um, I'm sure some of you start turning to it, and you'll get to it and go, oh yeah, that's what it is. But here's the thing. Acronyms can be dangerous. They can be helpful. They can actually get us on the same page, but there's sometimes they can actually be very dangerous. And I know that I've told our youth this story, and I may have even said the whole thing here, uh, but so I don't want to read the whole thing in its entirety, but I just want to kind of recap it, that uh, there was a lady that traveled and decided to move. And she was in this region overseas. She actually came from um, kind of Britain area. And on her way back, she realized, I don't remember seeing a WC in the area that I was looking at. And so she emailed back to her agent and said, okay, hey, you know what? I enjoyed, thank you for the travel but I didn't see a WC. Can you verify that, in fact, there was one? The agent received this email, saw WC, didn't know what she was talking about, talked to a few people around in his area, and they came to conclude that the WC stood for Wayside Chapel. And so he begins to look and research about this Wayside Chapel, but you got to keep in mind, when she wrote it, where she came from, the WC stood, stood for the water closet. For us English folk, that's the bathroom, okay? So in his reply to her, he's like, oh, yes, we definitely have a WC. It's about 25 miles away. Most people only go once a week. <laughs> Sometimes they take their picnic lunch and make a day of it. And we can seat about 25 people at once, and so we just kind of get cozy together. Again, abbreviations and acronyms can be helpful, but they can be dangerous and confusing as well. Uh, Which brings me to the WTL. If you've looked it up, you've already seen that we are, in fact, talking about Jesus is the way, truth, and life. And I thought I was being creative. I thought I was being somewhat new. You know, this is a new concept. I think I should be able to to do something with this that no one else has done. So I'm like, oh, let's let's just hit Google and double check, make sure no one else has done this. Oh, no. Apparently, (laughs) it's a common thing. So the first one that I found at the top of the list was Windows Template Library. So if you're ever involved in any computer's background, some of the software stuff, you'll actually run into WTL, referring to that. Or in some school systems, these top two, uh, Writing to Learn. That was their abbreviation on what it meant to be in these different programs in their school. Or Water Technology List, if you're in the UK. Kind of rounds out the top three. And then uh, Water Tender Ladder. That, they don't really flow together, but that's kind of a shout out to my brother-in-law and his firefighting abilities and skills and stuff like that, that their fire trucks and other accessories to make sure that they have everything. And then in different companies, they work team load comes into play to make sure that they follow proper procedure. And then um, the one I didn't expect to see is worshiping the Lord. Apparently it's used through some social contacts that you said WTL and I'm worshiping the Lord. I like it. Don't really see it. Um, 
My favorite one on the list is Woods Ball Tournament League. Now, if you're familiar with paintball and, and some of the situations they set up, especially East Coast, they go to the forest, and they really true set up a true two-sided flanks and back front line snipers, the whole nine yards into battle using paintball. And then there's the song, Where's, Where's the Love? And I'm curious. He's like, okay, I wonder what kind of song that is. And then I saw the name of the group, and I'm like, that does not sound like the song that this group would actually sing, because this actually refers to needing help from the Father above, and how we should be extending love to those around us. And yet, you look at some of their other songs. Granted, this was one of their first top hits, and now in the last number of years and decade of being hit. Uh, there's a lot of sexual innuendo and body parts and other things that are completely opposite of what they would be singing about in this song itself. But yet, they did sing about Where's the Love? Wireless Transport Layer is another one on the list. Uh, again, computer stuff. And then this one, again, I was thinking I was being creative. I thought I was being unique for this morning. No. Way, Truth, and Life was actually on this top like 12 list um, that I found. I couldn't believe it. Uh, watch the language was another white toner laser, and then we or will or will talk later. I can kind of see some parents maybe sending that one out to their kids real quick and say, "Hey, WTL." Acronyms can be da- dangerous. They can be helpful, but they can cause a lot of confusion. And yet, in John fourteen six, when we read Jesus's words, he is clear. He makes no confusing remarks about it. And so let's read that together. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, before we really look into it, I want us to kind of understand a little bit more of what's going on around this one statement because it's one verse, one statement. If we look back a few verses, not even a few chapters, just a few paragraphs, we find that Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the night that he's betrayed. This is literally hours before he goes to trial, hours before he gets arrested, hours, half a day roughly, before he is crucified on the cross. So that him, Jesus told him, is Peter. Because he called Peter out and said, hey, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows, right before this. And Peter's like, no, 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 that's not me. And that was right after Jesus calling Judas Iscariot saying, hey, why don't you go? You're going to go betray me. You're going to go take care of some business in the garden. Why don't you go ahead and get up and go? That's what Jesus was going through right before he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. He made it clear. He wanted to make sure that this last conversation that he had with his disciples, that there was no doubt, there is no if or maybe or could have or would have. He was clear that, hey, there's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life, and this is it. And that's what I want us to kind of focus on a little bit on how Jesus assured them through their fear and uncertainty of what the next days for sure, much less weeks to come, were going to look like. And so my first thought for this morning is Jesus is the way. I know it's earth-shattering and groundbreaking concept, but yet Jesus was clear. 
Jesus is the way. And as I got thinking about it a little bit more, it brought to mind a movie, a classic movie that's been around for a while about a gal who was away from home and a storm started coming and brewing and and she picked up her little dog and tried to make it home. And, And as she's coming home, she gets knocked out. And Dorothy's finding her way through this land of Oz, right? And she is then faced with the yellow brick road, the yellow brick road, okay? And she starts singing. Now you're going to sing it for the rest of the afternoon, and you're going to hate me for it. But as she goes through and interacts with these different people, they're pointed to this brick path, this brick way that she has to follow in order to get to the end, this city of Oz, And as she works through this path, she comes across this kind of weird, gangly, thoughtless kind of guy, the scarecrow, and and befriends her. And then he goes on, she goes on to to meeting the tin man and his heartless condition that he was suffering with, and then goes on to meet the lion and and his lack of courage and his crying tendency and, and holding on to his tail in the process. And created some great friendships, though unlikely, as she went through the way to the city. What I'm curious, though, is that if she were to actually see from beginning to end what her journey would look like, that as she traveled this brick road, though shiny and golden and spirally to begin with, but then set out on this nice path, That if she saw the beginning to the end, would she see the forest of apple trees that would beat her up? Would she be in the midst of these branches that were trying to hold and capture her and hold her back as they began to fight back to move through? Would they see the flying monkeys that she had to battle and deal with or the wicked witch that would come in to try and distract her and to cause her to sleep and, and be distracted on what her journey or her purpose was? Would she have given up and just stayed back there at the beginning? Or would she still continue to actually move forward what they are laying out for her as the way to go to get to the city in the end? And so when we, and I kind of take that, and we're going to kind of keep using that throughout. And obviously as you push any illustration to the end, it kind of falls apart. But in its nutshell right there, it gives us a pretty good picture on how Jesus is the way, and he gives us, or he is the means of access. He is the one that accesses, or gives us access to his way, to follow him. Like all of those people, they're encouraging Dorothy to go, hey, here's where you got to start. Are we like that, encouraging people, this is where you got to start. you got to start with Jesus. Romans 5, 1 and 2 It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We don't necessarily see everything, the whole picture, but we do know that the access was given by God. And this is the path that we have to start with. Dorothy had to start somewhere. And she had to start at the beginning one step at a time. Are we starting or have we started from the beginning with Christ? Have we gone through him as the doorkeeper? The means of access. 
Or Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way, though the curtain, or through the curtain, into the most holy place. I don't know if some of you have had the opportunity to, to see or know what the holy of holies is or that most holy place is. But I remember through college that we actually visited a building um, that actually very similar to this, but yet right about here, they actually sectioned off a portion of the stage, and they actually called that their holies of holies. And it had a couple windows, and they had a functioning door in the middle, and even as a class of students, that we were able to come and look there, and we were able to walk up on stage, and we were able to peer through the windows, but we could not enter in. We could not go in there. They still practiced much of what the Old Testament practiced was that one person had to do certain preparation and rituals and clean themselves in order to actually enter in to the Holy of Holies with the fear of losing their life. And yet Jesus, when he died, he tore, he ripped that veil down. He would have tore that whole wall down and we would have been able to gain access directly to God, not just one person on behalf of everybody, but each one of us directly into God's presence. Do we understand that access that God has given us? How special that is. How unique that is for our culture today that much of the Old Testament did not actually have. The entire Old Testament did not have that direct access with God that God gave them when he died. Jesus is also not just, I mean, as the way, but he leads it to a destination. I mean, think of Dorothy and on that way that she had a destination in mind and that goal route took her through various places, but it brought her to the end destination, the city of Oz. Our way doesn't bring us to Oz, thankfully. It brings us to an eternity with, heaven, with God in heaven. That's our eternity. That's our end destination. Jesus is the way to the Father and to the Father's house without going through him. Now, in this whole section, again, we talked about how Jesus is in the upper room. If we look back just a couple verses before in John 14, verse 2, we get that there is more than enough room in my Father's house. Jesus is preparing that place. He's given us access. He's saying, here's your destination. I have prepared a room for you. And it also says in 12, so about six verses after where we're at this morning, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. He is setting the stage for us. He is the way. We are the ones to follow, to choose to follow him to be on that path, to be in that way, to move, move forward with him. He is the way home. Earth is not our home. It might feel comfortable and we might have our own little house to be in that we call our home, but earth is not our home. It's not our eternal home. It's only temporary. Think of the parable of the, the lost son or the prodigal son. And how he left home and went and squandered and came back home. Maybe we're like that. That we, we feel we're at home or we're close and we go off and we do our own thing. We leave that path or we leave that way and then we come back. 
I mean, I've been to different places where there is the road that I should be on, and I'm taking another road that parallels it for a while. Am I on the right path? No. It might be parallel for a little while, but it might be heading off in a completely different direction. We have to be on the way, the one path, in order to get to the right destination, which is also hard for some as well, that the way must be entered. In other words, we must enter into Christ if we are to be saved. That's the way that we have to follow. If we don't do it, according to Scripture, we're not on his way, we're on the way to hell. That's what his Scripture talks about. Follow him or we're going elsewhere. Jesus is that way that we must be on. Um, We cannot see the beginning from the end. Excuse me, cannot see the end from the beginning. Right? We don't know what life holds. We can see in other parts of Scripture that we're going to face trials. We're going to have hardships. We're going to have those, you know, at times, those flying monkeys come through and just take us out and try and figure out how do I go on. And then we have those friends that come and pick us up. You know, the situation I think of in, in, in the story is when the straw man gets completely pulled apart and straw and hay is scattered everywhere. Could he do it on his own? you get back up needed people to come and help put pieces back together again that we're on that journey together there's a time for us to define uh, or there's a definite time in christian experience that when we enter into that way that when we can look back and go that is when i gave my life to christ i remember in southern california where and when i didn't know who for many years that actually led me to christ but that's a point in time that I can remember that I started that yellow brick road path. We're starting on that way to follow Christ. And it must be followed. We like to look off to the side as we're driving, but a lot of times when we're driving, we look to the right, where does the vehicle go? It wants to go to the right or to the left, but it rarely ever stays where it's going to go once we look for too long, right? When we're following God's way, we need to keep our eyes focused on him. If he's the way, then our way needs to be his way. The second thought for the morning is Jesus is the truth. Again, I know it's a brilliant statement out of the text. But again, he was being clear to his disciples. He wasn't trying to sugarcoat it. He wasn't trying to deceive them or give them something confusing. He was bringing straightforward. He said, hey, I am the truth. And here's the truth about God. That if we would know what God is like, we would know Christ. And vice versa. So when we look at the word, we see who Jesus Christ is. We know who God is because they're one and the same. God, or excuse me, Jesus demonstrated the power of God by calming the storms. I mean, sitting in the boat and the storms were calm. Or maybe it was when he was healing diseases, casting out demons out of people. Or how about when he overcame death and conquered it once and for all? He's using that to, to show his, his truth by displaying his power. He also demonstrated his righteousness. God's righteousness was used through him. Even though we can look to one extreme and see him in the temple, and he threw tables out and kicked people out of the temple for corrupting like a den of thieves. And they were not, uh, or taking advantage of people, and they were not following God. And in his righteous anger, he cleaned that out, but yet on the flip side, we can see him coming to places and he had the little children coming to him and sitting on his lap 
and pouring his love into those little kids? Or, or how about the orphans or the widows? Or seeing people on the side of the road and, and stopping to care for them? Or telling parables about how people need to look out for those that are unlikely to be loved, like the Samaritan? Those are the people, those are the things that he was demonstrating his righteousness as well as God's love. I mean, you have stories like the lost coin or the lost sheep or even the lost son that Jesus showed his love or talked about God's love to the people around us. And even Jesus' death on the cross would be the ultimate sign of his love for us. Some 2,000 years for us looking back that we were on his mind when he died. He knew about each and every one of us today that we would be here or that we would be facing a decision, do I follow follow Christ or not while he was on the cross? Are we going to step on that path and start following him or not? The other part of the truth that we have today is that we see the Bible containing 66 books, 39 in the old, 27 in the uh, the new, 40 different authors writing over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, and yet they they form one cohesive story. We even look at the New Testament that is preserved in manuscripts, you know, old writings, over 5,800 of them in Greek. 9,300 for the Old Testament in various languages, plus 10,000 in Latin. And our earliest one is 125 AD that we have from the book of John. I mean, there is so much evidence about the Bible and who Jesus was. And even there is so much that even you don't even use the Bible itself to prove that Jesus existed. That's truth. He is the truth. Second part about that part is not just the truth about who God is in God's word, but also the truth about man. That Jesus was that second Adam, or he was that living proof of who we are or could be as people. He lived a perfect life. None of us could. He lived as the way God intended for man to live. But the question is, what is man worth or people worth? Look at Mark 8, verse 36. And it says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I mean, how much do you think that's worth? I know here on earth, again, we think of earth as home and long term and we, we stockpile and we build up our investments. And yet, when it comes down to it, what is the worth of it? In the end, since we're not God and we're not perfect, our condition is lost. Our condition is sinful. Jesus is that truth and we need him. We need that access to get to that way in order to be able to achieve eternal life. He also is the truth about sin. We look at the cross about who God is and love that he had for us to conquer it once and for all. There is no other way to satisfy the penalty of sin. It's only through the cross that Jesus died on. The horrible, tragedy, tragic death my third thought for this morning was from Jesus that says Jesus is the life. Jesus is the life. How do we live it out? How do we show it? And I think a little bit further, the chapter before from where we're at, Jesus is just, I mean, it, it's, 
I say it's amazing, but yet this is God that coordinated those 40 authors to pen, especially John as he wrote this out. It's like, well, it makes a whole lot of sense that he was setting himself up when he wrote in John 13, 34, and 35. And he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And you take that into conjunction with, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God shows or tells his disciples, here is what you need to do. Here is who I am. Here is how you need to live it out. That Jesus is that source of life. We cannot have life without him. Without being plugged into him, without following him, without him a part of our life. He is the self-existent one. He was there from the beginning and will always be there to the end. He explains that in scripture. Life is in Christ. He's the new life, the abundant life. He is the one that leads to eternal life. There is nothing else that we can do or nowhere else we can go. We cannot go around that to get back to him. There is one direction. He is that doorway. He is that gateway. To have this life, we must die to all other lives. All other desires, all other wishes, all of our our own personal wants. But here's the other thing, though, is that life must be lived. That in order to actually follow Christ on the way through his truth into his life, we must live. We must do something for him and follow him. And this is where it brings me to one of my favorite passages. And, and it gives a lot of freedom, but it also gives a lot of responsibility and weight. And the choices and the responsibilities and what we decide in life. And it comes in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and 24. I absolutely love this. It says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. I mean, God has given us the ability to choose the choice of our life, our path, the things that we do, who we love, who we don't love, the the right direction, the wrong direction, to speed at 100 miles an hour in a 30-mile-an-hour zone, to help an old lady across the street, or to do it ourselves, to help when there's something that's needed, you know, person down like the Samaritan on the side of the road, or to walk on by, to go get plastered, or to avoid spend time on our phones or our computers and looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at or to avoid them and encourage somebody else. God has given us abilities that in there, in that passage, when we're living life, are we looking at the choices that we have saying, hey, you know what, I want it for me. I want to do it for me. I want to live my own life. Or do we want to say, hey, is everything that I'm doing good for somebody else? Is everything that I'm doing beneficial for God? Am I concerned with the own good of somebody else? The good of somebody else versus my own good. What are we choosing to do? Who are we choosing to put forth in front? Is it our own desire or is it the way, the truth, and the life? When we look at who Jesus Christ is, he said is the way and the truth of the life, but he is truly the way for those who are lost. The only way. The way. That's it. One path. I know sometimes it's hard or accused of being narrow-minded, but being he's God and he was in there from the beginning to the end, he set his own rules. We are not the rule, the rule changer. He is the one that sets them and we follow them. And he said that the way is for those who are lost. 
That means you've never given your life to Christ. You are not on the way. If you have not placed your faith in Christ and trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior, you are not on his way. Jesus Christ is the truth for those who might be ignorant or in ignorance and in error, making wrong choices. He is the one that we need to follow. And Jesus Christ is the life for those who are dead in sin. We can't pull people out of the sin to start a relationship. We can point them to the way. We can point them to the path that they need to take. That person, we, you, need to make that choice to start walking in that path, walking in that way to follow God from the beginning to the end. And we don't get to see all the ups and downs and the valleys and the, and the apples being thrown into our life or the monkeys or the... You can play the whole, whole uh, Wizard of Oz story through your mind on what goes through our life. But when we're on Jesus' way, based with his truth, we will live his life. And I encourage you today that if you're not on his way, that you follow him. That you right now, maybe you're here, maybe you're at home, or maybe you're listening later on in the week that says, I want to follow Jesus. And for most, it's a simple statement or prayer that says something along the lines, Jesus, I need to know you. I trust you. I place my faith in your life. I don't have all the answers, but I know that you forgive me of my sin, my wrong choices, and I want to follow you. Come into my life today.